Thank you. Just turn in your Bible to John chapter 14. We return to a passage that we spent some time in last week. There was uh, a text in there that I skipped. I don't know if you noticed that uh, with the intention that we would come back to it this week. As we prepare to uh, spend some time in God's Word, let's pray. Uh, and I was handed a note just a moment ago that Carolyn Hayes' granddaughter is undergoing surgery for a tumor on her kidney. Uh, and I believe that may even be even now as we speak. So let's pray. Father in heaven, as we gather this morning, it's your church. We gather knowing that you are the Lord. We are your people. And our hope in life and in death is in you. Our trust is in you. Even when your providence is hard to understand. Even when a granddaughter has a tumor and needs surgery. Our hope is in you. Our trust is in you. We pray for this little girl this morning and ask that you would have mercy. That you would give the doctors great success. And that you would heal her body. We pray for the parents as they stand by. How difficult it is in such dark moments trust. Father, would you grant them great grace. And as we come to your word this morning, we confess, Father, that apart from you, we can do nothing. We can't even hear well. We can't adjust and change our own hearts and repent well. We cannot think straight. We cannot understand. We cannot, we cannot deepen ourselves in the truths of your word and the experience of these things. And so we set ourselves before you and ask that you might speak to us. Give us ears to hear and work in us by the grace that is ours in Christ and through your spirit. Amen. We're in John chapter 14, verses 25 to 28. I think I'm going to back up to verse 23. Hear then the word of God. Jesus answered them and he said, if anybody loves me, he is going to keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him. And we will make our home with him. Whoever does not love me and does not keep my words. And the words that you hear are not mine, but the Father's who sent me. And these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And he will bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. And if you loved me, you would have rejoiced. Because I'm going to the Father. And the Father is greater than I. You know, in the treasure house of Christ and all the things that he has one for us in our salvation, all that is, is our inheritance that He has won for us and provides for us as His children. There are many precious treasures and benefits and jewels that, that are ours. Kind of like the crown jewels in London. I was trying to think of a, a set of jewels that we might be familiar with. That, that there are many beautiful things. I've actually seen the crown jewels. I remember some of them. You know, the crown with the the great gems encrusting it and scepters and some of these other things, these, these jewels. In the, in the storehouse of Christ, there are these 
great precious jewels. The hope diamond. right? The sapphire of his joy. The ruby of his love. And one of the most coveted jewels in this treasure house of Christ would be the jewel of peace. We are desperate for peace. It is desired and sought by every human being, by all people everywhere. Some don't even know it's what they're seeking as they seek it, as they invest themselves in so many different things. What they're after, what they're looking for, what they are craving and seeking is this contentment and satisfaction that, that, that settles over us as a jewel of peace. Biblical peace is more than the absence of war and strife. And this point is often made. And sometimes we think of peace in very negative terms. It's the absence of, of war and strife out there or the absence of war and strife in here where we have a peace of mind because things have have settled out. But the biblical idea of peace is much richer and it's much deeper. And as Jesus speaks of peace in this passage, and though he's probably speaking Greek, possibly Aramaic, most likely Greek, uh, he is steeped in and and is richly uh, taught in this entire system of, of Jewish thought and peace. The Old Testament understanding of peace that we have captured in the word shalom word that's hard to translate, a word that doesn't just mean we're not at war, but true shalom in the Old Testament is it became a greeting where, we would, where they would greet each other with this blessing, this benediction, this good word of peace. And this shalom of God is something that is richer than, and deeper that is meant to touch all of our lives. It's the life lived in God and under His blessing. And so it, it speaks of a wholeness of a completeness, right, of a, of a satisfaction, of contentment, healthy relationships, living well. You know, that, that the shalom that, over, that, that, that overtakes our whole life, a healthy life lived with and before God. And Jesus here in this passage wants to assure us That though we will have trouble in this world, and he's promised us that somewhere else. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. So he's not promising us a trouble-free life. He's not promising us smooth sailing. But Jesus wants to assure us and to assure his people that though you will have trouble in this world, and his disciples are about to go through some of it in in the loss of him, they're going to be terrified as Jesus is arrested and tortured and killed and, and as they begin to lie and dissemble and hide. And live in fear of what's going to happen. And he says, though you will have trouble in this world, I'm going to give you peace. Right? I am the source. The source of peace itself will be with us. I want us to notice a couple of things. And then I want to hit on three foundations for this biblical peace that, that Jesus offers here as a gift. But let's notice a couple of things. And the first thing I want us to notice is that he calls it my peace. Right in verse 27, he says, peace I leave with you. It is my peace that I give to you. It is his to give. In Isaiah chapter 9, one of those wonderful passages that we often read at Christmas, and as we start to approach that time, and it says, you know, for unto us 
a son is a child is born unto us, a son is given, and he will be called the mighty God, the Prince of Peace. Right? One of the marks of the kingdom of the coming Messiah would be peace. He would be the Prince of Peace. It's it's one of the benefits of his reign. It's one of the treasures in his treasury. It's one of those things that he will bring, that his kingdom will be saturated in as he reigns and brings it himself and gives it. It's his to give. And Jesus says just that. He says, my peace, I give it to you. Right? He says, I give it to you. You don't have to earn it. And it's independent of circumstances. He doesn't say, my peace I give to you. I'm going to smooth out your life and make your life trouble free. And he gives you this whole list of things he'll do to make it so that you won't be troubled. But he says, I will, I will give it to you independent of circumstances. We all know that it's not hard to be at some semblance of peace when circumstances are peaceful. You know, the difficult thing. The difficult thing is to find that peace of heart and mind, to be at rest in the storms of life. When things are not as they should be, when things are hard, when relationships are broken, when diagnoses aren't what we want them to be, when, when ec- ec- the economy is not what we hoped it would be, when things we had put our trust in are broken down, and when things are not as they should be, then the difficult thing, you know, when the waters are churning and the waves are high, Peace of Christ is a gift given to the soul, independent of all of these things. It's been described in one time that that I really like the picture of the idea of a bedrock beneath the churning ocean. And you can have the waves, and you can have the ocean churning and doing whatever it is, but underneath there's an immovable bedrock. Underneath there is a rock that does not move. No matter what happens on the surface, there is this rock on which we can stand that does not change with circumstances. Paul learned it. It's one of those things he said. In fact, he says, I learned the secret of being content in every circumstance, whether I'm in abundance or whether I'm in need. Right? I've learned the secret of being content. And it was true for Paul. Whether Paul was being shipwrecked on some island, being beaten or being in prison, you saw Paul exhibiting something supernatural and desirable. As he's chained to a prison wall at midnight and is singing praises and sitting content with where God had him at that moment. He had something, he had a peace, he had a joy that surpassed understanding because it had nothing to do with his circumstances. The circumstances couldn't have been worse. In, the, in Philippian, this is in the Philippian jail where he's doing this, it's, it's from there that he writes this, uh, or uh, to the Philippian church that he writes to when he's in prison, that he says, I don't know whether I'm going to live or die. I face, you know, he's sitting there facing execution. But he's content. In fact, he's torn between his options. Being with Christ and persisting in ministry. And he's completely content with the options of whatever God would give him would be a good thing. This is why it is not like the world's peace, right? Which is what he says, the peace that I leave with you, it's my peace, and I give it to you. It's not like the world gives that I give. The peace that I give you is nothing like what the world has to offer to you. 
peace that the world offers is superficial. It's a peace of mind that comes as we strive, as we say people seek it everywhere, as they seek to get their, you know, their retirement in order and their job squared away and as get their family in order to get their children to behave and to get all these. And when all these things, when I get my circumstances under control, I have some peace of mind. You know, if I can get my, my finances in order, then I have a peace of mind. If I can get these things, these plans in place and these difficulties sorted and I can get all these things done, then there is this peace of mind that we can find. But the reality is we're not as in control as we like to think. Right? And most of us, the older we get, the, the more this comes home to us. There are a lot of ways we like to think we're in control and we think we've got things sorted and then we discover at the turn of a moment that we're not in control. Plans unravel. New difficulties arise. We turn a bend and didn't expect what was around the corner and corner and the peace that we often experience and is, is partial and it's temporary because we are grounding it in, in our ability to bring order out of the chaos of our lives. Jesus is saying there is a peace that arises not from the world and that is given the soul and it surpasses understanding and it, and it surpasses all circumstances. And it's interesting that Jesus commands what he promises. It's one of, those, one of those ironies that you find in Scripture almost from beginning to end. And I told you that it's one of the things that Augustine set his hooks in and got him in trouble as he began to articulate it, that, that God commands things and then he gives us what he commands. And if he doesn't give us what he commands, then, then we are at a loss to fulfill it because apart from him we can do nothing. And so Jesus gives us this amazing promise, this jewel of peace. I I leave it with you, my peace. I give to you, not as the world gives to you. And then it's a command. This is an imperative. This comes to you and he says, therefore, do not let your hearts be troubled. And neither don't let them be afraid. And there's this command. Command to don't be troubled, don't be afraid. Because I give you my peace. And so there's this, this, I think, a beautiful thing as he commands us. And then there is this thing that we already had the promise before he gave the command. I'll give it to you. I'll be the one to supply it. I'll be the one to make it happen. I will be the one to bring it home to your souls. So he gives us three foundations. I think there are three foundations here that I wanted to touch on this morning as we think about this peace that he gives us, that he, that he gives us and then commands for us, the peace that he owns is the Prince of Peace. Three foundations I think that we need to build on as we try to obey this command because he says he's going to be the one to give it, but then he commands us in a sense to do some, some work in our hearts to, to not be troubled, to seek peace, his peace. And so let me give you three foundations. The work of Jesus, the word of Jesus, and the presence of Jesus. The work of Jesus, the words of Jesus, and the presence of Jesus. And they all come to us through through the scripture. The, The first and foremost foundation for peace in the life of God's people is in fact the gospel. Right? And it has to be that way. The foundation, the bedrock of everything in the Christian life, of the entire treasure trove of things that we long for from God, whether it's love or joy or peace or 
patience or kindness, all the jewels of a virtuous, godly life. The foundation is the gospel. It's Jesus' saving work through his death on the cross. We will never experience the peace of Christ at work in our hearts despite the circumstances unless we are first and foremost at peace with God and live under a settled Gospel-driven, word-promised, Jesus-accomplished, spirit-applied sense that God loves us, that God is on our side, that God embraces us and accepts us as His own, and that the gospel lays this foundation of peace with God, reconciliation with God. We live in a world that has rejected God's rightful rule, God's rightful reign, His rightful authority. And in rejecting His authority, we have become alienated. And there's a very real sense in which the world is at war with its maker. The war with God. And God's response to this kind of rebellion, God's response to sin is judgment, is wrath. The Bible is very clear about this, and, it, and it, it's the undercurrent through here, but it's the background on which the good news comes to us. The gospel and the good news is this, that Jesus has made peace with God through his blood shed on the cross. He gave the full sacrifice to pay for our rebellion, to reconcile us to God, to make peace with him. It's there in your bulletin under the foundation of Jesus' work. Colossians chapter 1, we read this. He says, For in him that is in Christ, all the fullness of deity has come to dwell in the incarnation. And through him, through Christ, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace by his blood, which was shed on the cross. And you who were once alienated, you who were once hostile, doing evil deeds, you have now been reconciled. To God, This is the good news to the world. This is the foundation of every hope that we have. Romans 5.1, we've been justified by faith. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. We've been reconciled. The war is over. The rebellion has been put to an end through faith. And through Christ and what he has done, we are at peace with God. And he does accept and embrace and redeem and love us. And that love that we just read about and sang about. Now what shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? And he names everything you could imagine from swords and war and famine and hardship. And then, you know, and you can take that to the economy, a broken economy where there's, there's need and want or whether it's... And he goes through everything. And then at the very end, in case you wanted to slip something in there, he says, no... Nothing in all creation can separate you from the love that God has for you in Christ. This is the foundation of your peace. To those who make peace with God through faith, the promises come. And so the second foundation of peace after Jesus' work is Jesus' word. Right? His word, this solid unchangeable, trustable, bedrock of truth. In a world that does not have truth, where truth is relative, and where, where, where this idea of 
ultimate and absolute truth is rejected, it's very hard to find peace. There's nowhere to set your feet. There's nothing to stand on, to find even, even meaning for your life, a purpose for your own existence. Right? Any justification for our behavior, any sense that there is right and wrong. If we are simply products of chance and time in a universe that is nothing but chance and time and stuff. The Bible says there's no peace for the wicked. There's nowhere to put your feet. There's constantly churning. The word of God is a sure foundation. You know, it's very interesting to me that this promise comes where it does. In fact, as I was preparing to preach last week, and I, and I preached all around this, I preached this sermon, and I'm like, how does peace fit into this? Where am I going to put it? You know, because it's all part of this, this text. These things I've spoken to you while I'm with you. The Spirit's going to come. He's going to teach you. And, and I leave you with my peace. And to the point where, I mean, peace was going to be my sort of my application last week, and I decided, you know, I'm not going to tack it on at the end. I'm going to come back to it because I think it's important. But we need to see where it comes in, and it is interesting. It follows on these promises. He says, these things I've spoken to you while I'm with you, the helper, the Holy Spirit, he's going to come. Not only the things I've spoken to you, but he's going to come. He's going to keep speaking to you. The Spirit of truth. He's going to teach you all things. He's going to keep giving you my word. He's going to keep telling you the truth, the truth about me, the truth about the world, the truth about the cross, the truth about the gospel, the truth about yourselves that you need to know. And we're going to get to this where he is. The Spirit is the one who convicts us concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Spirit is going to give you, he's going to keep speaking my word to you. And it is on on the heels of this promise, he will teach you all things and bring all these things into remembrance. My peace, I'm leaving with you. In this spirit of truth, in this word of truth, there is a foundation for our peace. The Holy Spirit will teach you the word of God, and he will remind you of the truth. And it is that truth that will set our hearts free to trust God and to be at peace. You know, he says when he commands, let not your heart be troubled. It's an interesting word. It means to shake something up, to stir it. You know, a pot that is boiling or that has been agitated when it's applied to a crowd. It's a crowd that is riotous or in an uproar. You know, this idea of a troubled crowd is a, is a crowd in an uproar. And he uses this to let not your hearts be in an uproar. Let it not be stirred up, troubled. When fears and doubts... Shake us up. When panic begins to creep in. When life intervenes. The word is a rock under our feet. Jesus says in John 6, the words that I have spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life. The words that I have spoken to you, through his word we come to know the gospel that we just talked about. Through his word we come to know Jesus. It's here that has been captured, his life and his ministry and his death and his resurrection and all that he has accomplished and all that it means and the way to connect to it through faith. It's here that we come to know God and all of his power and his glory. It's here that we find the promises of God. Here we come to know that his grace is sufficient. That he will supply all of our needs. 
that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, that, that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ. It's here that he, that he assures us that he will uphold us in temptation, that he will provide for us the strength and the wisdom and the counsel and the peace and the patience and the kindness and the goodness that we need. It is here where all things come together for good for those who love him. It's here that we are assured that our sins are forgiven if we confess and repent and that we are cleansed. And it's here that we know that there is life after death and that the word of God, all that he would say to your souls in those moments, when the fear creeps in and panic begins to, and the water begins to boil and the waters begin to rise, How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, has been laid for your faith in his excellent word. A rock and a fortress of peace. And that's why I was trying to say, as we talked about God's word last week, and this this God, this speaking God, you know, it's not just an abstract thing to, to tell us what we must do kind of thing. It's not just law that he speaks to us. It's peace that he speaks to us. It's his love that he speaks to us. It's his mercy that he speaks to us. It's the many varied word of God that speaks to every situation and every condition of the soul. Someone has said the Psalms themselves as the songbook of the church in the Old Testament is really an anatomy of the, of, the, of the human soul. Why? Because in it is expressed every human emotion. And there God answers every human need. Why? How long, O oh Lord? How long? You know, and all the questions and the things that rise... Constant meditation on all that God says to us in the scripture is a bedrock for our peace. You know, there's a parallel passage. It's probably now a good time to bring it in. I think it's parallel. I think it's Paul taking the teaching of Christ in many places and applying it, not only in his own life, and then giving it to the church. Philippians 4, a passage that you're very familiar with. It's there under the Jesus' word. And he says this, Do not be anxious about anything, which is a paraphrase of, Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Be anxious for nothing, comes as the command. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to your God, and the peace of God, or the peace of Christ, which surpasses all understanding, meaning it, that, it, that it cuts through all circumstances and all emotional states and all things that could intervene. It surpasses what would be common sense, peaceful circumstances, peaceful heart. Uproarious circumstances and the peace of God. It surpasses all understanding. It will guard, stand guard like a military guard over your hearts and over your minds in Christ Jesus. This is another one of those texts where as I read this, this teaching about not being anxious and praying, pursuing the presence of God in our, our discomfort. But he goes on, he says, finally, my brothers, and he connects it with whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's anything that's excellent or is there anything praiseworthy. In other words, he's talking about the things of God and the word of God. How do I know? Because he says, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Whatever you've learned or received from me, 
That's what we read in the book of Philippians, in the book of Colossians, in the book of Corinthians. You know, these things that we've received, the apostolic witness and the and the scripture that comes to us through the work of the spirit in their lives. He says, think about these things, you know, the constant meditation on those things that God would speak to our souls. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And the God of peace will be with you. Right in that last one, the God of peace will be with you. Goes right back to the text where we are in John 14. Because that's what Jesus has been talking about through this entire passage. Is how he's leaving. But yet he will be with them. He's leaving. But Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are going to come and make their home with him. Right? Look at verse 23. He says... He answers them, if anybody loves me, he's going to keep my word. He's going to let the word of Christ dwell in him richly. It is a foundation for everything. And my father is going to love him. You will abide under the blessing of the gospel, accepted and received. And then he says what? And we will come to him and make our home with him. He says, I'm going to make my home with you. I'm going to set up house. You know, it's interesting. I looked at this because I'm wondering, I'm thinking, is this the word, is this the same word that Jesus uses or, or, or John uses in, in, in the beginning of uh, his book about Jesus when he says the word became, the word who was God became flesh and he dwelt among us. And I said, did he make his home? You know, what does that mean? And actually in, in John 1.14, where the word became flesh and he dwelt among us is actually he tabernacled, he pitched a tent. Paul's a tent maker. Paul knows the difference between a tent and a house in Jerusalem. And he says, Jesus tabernacled, he tented with us temporarily. Right? And that's what Jesus is saying here, I'm going away. But the word that he uses here is not tented. It's a home. He makes his home. It's permanent. He's here to stay. He sets up house to live within us and within our lives. And so in verse 26, as he goes on and he says, and the helper, the Holy Spirit will come. So in these couple of verses, he says, the Father's going to come, the Spirit, the Son is going to come, and the Spirit is going to come. The Trinitarian God is going to take up residence in your life. And you will never be alone. Never. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And the last thing he says is he gives his marching orders to the church to make disciples of all nations. And as he says, again, as he gives a command to do, there's a sense in which he gives the promise. And I will be with you always, forever, even to the end of the age. I will abide with you to accomplish everything I've commanded you to accomplish. You're never alone. He is always with us, even to the end of the age. It's there in your bulletin under the third point then is Isaiah 43. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Can't underestimate this. As in the gospel, he embraces us as his children. And he gives us his word, his sure word as a foundation to stand upon. And then he promises this unfailing, never-ending, never-leave-you-nor-forsake-you presence when you pass through those waters. One thing you can know, the word of a God who does not lie, who cannot lie, is when you go through the waters, 
I will be with you. When you go through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned and the flame will not consume you. Why? Because I am the Lord your God. This is the covenant he has made. I will be your God and you will be my people. And all the jewels of my treasury become yours. And in the midst of all these things, I will be with you. So you will not be overcome. You will not be consumed. You can obey my command to let not your heart be troubled. Do not be afraid. You can have, he says, peace. You know, there are some times when you're going through the difficult things. And I've heard a testimony even recently in the last week. God's children telling me, you know, this has been some of the worst times of my entire life. I've never been through anything this painful. I've never been. This is, this is, you know, God is with us, right? And we sense it. We sense the prayers of God's people strengthening us and buoying us. And there's a sense of God's presence in a most profound way, an experience of God's presence as we go through difficult things that is hard to describe, and you have to go through those circumstances and experience that peace that passes understanding to know what he's talking about. On the other hand, there are times when we stand on the truth and believe God's word because we don't feel like it. There are many times that I hear that other believers give the testimony of it's the worst time of my life and I can't find God. And I, don't, I don't feel anything. I don't, you know, it's like my prayers bounce off the ceiling and there is this sense of where is God when I suffer? And the answer is I will never leave you nor forsake you. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And he gives us his sure word as a foundation stand upon and to know and to believe and to trust this God who is with us always even to the end of the age and so Paul tells the church be anxious for nothing but he also says pray pray lay out your supplication and your thanksgiving and your heart before God in other words get before God turn to God get before God believe his word that he is there, that he hears you, that he loves you, and turn to him and seek him and get before God. In these moments, you have the foundations of the truth, the foundations of your peace, that he has embraced you forever in his son. And he's given you his sure word and promises of a God who cannot lie. And he has poured out his presence into our lives that we believe and trust even when we can't feel it. The source of peace is not just an external spoken word but it's a living word that is spoken within us and so the peace that he promises is not something that you or I can drum up or generate we're told time and again that it's one of it it belongs to him it's his to give it's my peace he says you know in a sense it's not yours but I will give it to you and he tells us that it's one of the fruits of the spirit that he does give to us Right? The fruit of the Spirit is peace. The peace we crave. The peace we long for. The peace He promises only God can give. It's been purchased by the blood of Christ. It's poured out in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. So that Isaiah 26 there at the very end of your bulletin 
promise is this. You, O oh God, will keep him, that is your people, in perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. Forever. He is worthy of your trust till you die, no matter what you experience, no matter how you feel. He will keep in perfect mind the one who is stayed on him in faith and in trust forever, he says, for the Lord your God is an everlasting rock. Trust me. When anxiety and trouble, when fear creep in, when the soul is disturbed, trust in the Lord forever. Your God is an everlasting rock. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. And your peace was purchased with the very blood of Christ and was poured out in the gift of His Spirit. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have loved us so and that you have given us an inheritance, an inheritance of peace, of love and joy, patience and kindness, your outpoured spirit, giving life to those who were dead, raising us from the dead and walking with us through the fire. Father, help us to trust you. Help us to trust the Lord our God forever. Help us to know that you are an everlasting rock. Help us to set our feet firm. In you. For we ask and pray it in Jesus' name.